Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we are going to be talking about the telemedicine transformation from a rare experience just a few years ago to now an everyday convenience. Where might this new convenient way of seeing your doctor head to next? I have on the line here Dr. Cedric Strong and Dr. Neil Chauhan. They are both the founders and physicians here in the islands of Cloudwell Health. And this is a unique telemedicine opportunity that they've established over the last few years. And they're going to share with us their perspective on what got them into the area of telehealth and also how's it going, how COVID might have affected that, and where might this find a role in the future of medicine. So thank you both for joining me today on The Body Show. Thanks for having us. Now, we've talked before, and I'd kind of like to start off with asking Dr. Strong, you've got many years of experience here in the islands. You work at Polymomi. You're, I think, the chief medical officer there. You've worked in the hospital for years. Let's talk a little bit about what got you interested in the idea of bringing telemedicine to the islands, because that sort of describes how you partnered with Dr. Chauhan. So I'm curious how all of this transpired, because, you know, this was before any of us were really even looking at doing video visits with patients. This was, you know, you sort of had the foresight to know this this could be transformative. What made you think about this as a way to utilize technology to improve care? Well, you know, I started off in Hawaii almost 15 years ago, and I worked on neighbor islands um, prior to coming over to Oahu. And even after that, I still continued to travel back and forth to Kona, where I worked in the acute care and ICU. So, um, I really noticed that uh, there was a lack of specialists and doctors in general over there. And um, once I completely started, stopped going there, I still tried to give back um, to the community over time. And um, I met uh, Neil. He was my neighbor, and he was actually working and doing telehealth um, from, from Hawaii to Europe. And so it was an interesting concept, and he was telling me all about it. And I, I you know, I, I think clicked in my mind, hey, this might be a way we can actually help people on neighbor islands. Um, and as we delved more into it, and at the time we were both in business school trying to think about, oh, could, could we actually start this sort of company? And then, um, you know, we started getting more involved and fleshing out the concept. And the technology is finally here where we can actually do this on video. And, um, you know, we came up with our own platform. Um, we started our company, and then we started actually doing services, and we actually serviced our first uh, patient was on Big Island, happened to be um, on the, um, the Kona side. Um, and so I really saw how, you know, what we were doing was actually helping people um, and putting it to work. And then, you know, prior to COVID, um, the way things were going along, and then, during COVID, seeing how what we're doing actually is very important, especially for people getting access when people's, you know, doctors' offices, hospitals aren't doing procedures when it weren't seeing people. And then even now where um, our service is, is growing, it's becoming integral to the community, it was more urgent care, and now we're trying to actually make it more mainstream. And I think that's where telehealth is going. Um, we're going to be more integrated with our services 
Uh, right now we're doing mostly core services where our goal is to be um, 360 management. So I think that's where things are going in the future of telehealth. Well, that's fascinating, starting off from your personal experience in the neighbor islands, knowing that you saw that there was a shortage of certain specialists and certain expertise. And sometimes, you know, in the past, it was easier for doctors to go there. But with COVID and with, you know, having to fly there and having to to figure out how to handle not being there when patients have needs, you know, what are some other ways we could do this? So I'm curious, uh, Dr. Neal, you know, you're you're well versed in the use of telemedicine in a different country, and you were doing this even when you were here in the islands. What are some of the ways that telemedicine has transformed healthcare in the UK? I mean, this is an area where they have they have a national health service, so they sort of have a different mechanism of how they provide care. But it seems like they were more advanced in the world of telemedicine even prior to COVID. They were doing this for quite a lot of their individuals. Is that right? Yeah, that's a great question, Kathy. So yeah, you're correct. I think we were uh, doing telehealth probably a bit more kind of mainstream in the UK and Europe um, pre-pandemic. And, and some of that was probably because of the healthcare infrastructure there with a nationalized healthcare service, which is free at the point of entry, um, trying to increase access, trying to pre- you know, prevent patients getting unwell to the point that they need to go into hospitals. So a real focus on preventative health care. And I think the core there was increasing access, so making it easy for to be able to speak with a clinician uh, to manage conditions before they became a bigger issue. And so when I started several years ago, I actually I worked for a, a private telehealth company. And at that time, it was almost looked at as a perk. Um, so people that had private health insurance and, and so forth, this was a, a nice, easy, accessible way to get very prompt care, kind of on, on-demand care. And what we saw is, one, there was a, a big need for it because you had two systems running alongside each other. You had the nationalized health service and then you had the private sector. And so with the additional kind of pressures on the national health service, a lot of people were opting for this private option to get seen quicker. And then the National Health Service actually just sped up as well, kind of alongside. They were looking at ways to try and increase that access and reduce the waiting times and so forth. And so I think that really was getting getting traction just before the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, I think we, we really kind of uh, sped that up. And so I mean, a good example is I, I, I still do the UK stuff. I still do the private side of things. I was very involved with physical care, traveling to the UK, seeing patients in National Health Service, urgent cares, and so forth. Um, and all of a sudden, they wanted me to help with setting up uh, remote services, uh, telehealth, so that patients could be seen with a different option um, on, a, on a big scale. We're talking across the United Kingdom, and now that's a, a big part of care. So patients, you know, instead of having to physically go in, for out-of-hours urgent care, going to see their PCP, um, they were now having this access to seeing us virtually. And uh, it's been a, a big shift, but a very positive one for people to get that access very quickly. 
I'm curious because you mentioned that this was something that, you know, the private sector, but also the National Health Service sector decided they wanted to promote and really to help with two things we have here in the U.S., preventative care issues and access. You know, those are things that are somewhat universal. And so what were the responses? What has been the uptick in the adoption of telemedicine in the U.K.? Are they really just... It's become an everyday average thing that even prior to the pandemic, there was an expectation that they would have virtual versus in-person versus a variety of different mechanisms to check in to see their doctor? Yes, I'd say kind of pre-pandemic, as I mentioned, on the private side, it was looked at as a perk and and utilization was high. Um, And then kind of around the pandemic and the push from the NHS, Nationalized Health Service, um, it started off low in terms of adoption of a new technology for a lot of people, not sure, not sure if it was going to work as well as going to see you know, someone in person. But as the pressures increased, as the pandemic involved, and you just couldn't see someone you know, in, in person or um, the risks involved and so forth, it really kind of took off from there. And I think the, the return rates were significant. So people would use it, perhaps test the waters, And then they would realize this works. This was great. I didn't have to go in. Um, And I'd say from that point onwards, it just steamrolled in terms of now it really has become a part of everyday care. Well, and I see some of the satisfaction rates for people who have tried a telemedicine visit are up in the 80s, 90s percent. You know, a lot of folks like the convenience. They like the benefit of not having to leave their job or leave their home. And I think that only magnified with the pandemic. I think you're absolutely right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to hear more from Dr. Strong and Dr. Chauhan about Cloudwell Health and how is this different than some other offerings that might be out there and what are some of the unique opportunities that they have afforded to people right here in the islands. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking with Dr. Cedric Strong and Dr. Neil Chauhan about Cloudwell Health. It's a new type of telemedicine that has evolved over the last couple of years and really has tried to respond well to the needs of our local community. Right before the break, we were hearing about how this may have started with Dr. Neil working with the UK to expand access and improve preventative care and serendipitously being a neighbor with Dr. Strong and the two of them in business school coming up with a plan to really help try and use these same resources here locally. Now, Dr. Strong, I'm curious, there have been several iterations of what you've tried to do with telemedicine. What's unique about Cloudwell Health? What sort of platform are you using and how is this different than what you might have started off with doing in other areas? Yeah, so, you know, we started the business, uh, I believe, April, uh, two and a half that's about two and a half years ago. And, you know, we start off as we prescribe. So we start off as a prescription service. Um, and then we realized that, you know, we could actually expand our services and do you know, urgent care services. Um, and we developed our own proprietary software and everything. Um, and then we relaunched and rebranded to Cloudwell Health um, this year. Um, and we've been able to... Um, start taking insurance. So we take um, 
just about every insurance plan in the state, whereas previously we were only taking um, PayPal and credit cards. We realized that, you know, one of our missions was to, you know, erase barriers to healthcare, and by doing that, by taking insurance, we would actually be accomplishing our mission. Um, and so, um, furthermore, we've uh, waived uh, copay and tax. Um, since 98% of people in the state have insurance, they want to use their insurance. Uh, we make it very easy. Um, there's no hidden fees or anything. Um, and we know that that model has been very successful for us. We've had actually uh, grown our numbers every month. We have a lot of uh, patients that are very loyal. We have over uh, 60% return patients uh, from month to month. Um, we've looked at expanding services. We've brought on uh, some specialists um, uh, to our ecosystem, so they're part of our network. Um, we've looked at expanding services, so we're able to or labs, uh, imaging tests, all digitally. We were the first company to do online uh, COVID screening and testing, arranging through drive-through testing sites. Um, so we've always tried to add more services, do more things. We're always trying to push things. Um, and now we're at the point where um, we'd like to do more. So we've always been more or less an urgent care service, but we're working on something called the Telehealth First Initiative. Um, where we can actually do some primary care services. We're looking at doing um, interesting concept called a telephysical. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, you know, had, had trouble seeing their primary doctors, but we're so used to uh, seeing them in person. But a lot of things that we do in person, we can do online. And um, I'm at the age where I probably need to start doing an annual physical exam and certain uh, health maintenance things. And so... Um, we're, these telephysicals are going to be really, really detailed um, uh, interviews with the doctor uh, where we go through health, fitness, lifestyle uh, modifications, all these sort of things. And um, interestingly enough, we can still do all the lab work and everything remotely. Um, and so th this is actually a, a new thing that we're doing. I think it's going to be very interesting. A lot of people like it. Uh, we've started doing it already. Uh, a lot of people found it very helpful. Um, some of our patients uh, haven't been able to get to see their primary doctor for, for weeks or months. And by offering this sort of service, uh, we can offer similar sort of care um, as the in-person exam. Um, eventually, we'll, we'd like to have everything integrated with wearables so that we can actually um, on beam in, you know, uh, interesting things like weights and blood pressures and all that sort of thing, utilizing you know, wearables like uh, Apple Watches and so forth. So a lot of things we'd like to do. Um, we're working on, on building out a lot more. Um, at this point, we're, we're starting to launch some of these services, but it's really exciting that we're going to be able to do more going forward. Well, in one of the areas that I think we've seen a significant increase in need, particularly within the last year or two, has been in mental health services. And a lot of those services are online. You know, a lot of times therapists or psychiatrists have moved their practice to actually be more in a virtual space because, you know, you mentioned earlier telephysical. So a lot of uh, physical includes the hands-on information, but also, you know, 80% of everything is history. So having that extra time to really spend with someone might allow you to hear more of the history and hear more of 
what's going on with them. I'm curious, do you also, have you seen an expansion in people requesting mental health services with your group as well? Yeah, yeah I, I would have. say that's so, definitely been a, um, a big increase in terms of the number of people um, using the services for our, our behavioral health services. And um, you know, that was a, a conscious decision over a year ago, I think, to, to build out a behavioral health team where we have kind of therapists and we're able to um, you know, refer onwards if there's you know, further management that's required. And it's been a stressful time for all of us in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the duration, the financial stresses, the change in family dynamics and, and so forth. And couple that with kind of not, not necessarily the easiest of access to care or long wait times, I think, um, you know, that, that's an additional stressor. And so we really wanted to kind of make sure that in addition to kind of medical services, we could offer that support. And um We've been kind of growing the team. Uh, you know, we, we uh, have regular um, patients that kind of are using the kind of behavioral health services. And, um, yeah, it's definitely been a kind of a very valuable service. And we can see how um, that easier access has been uh, appreciated. I'm certain. And I'm curious, Dr. Strong, when you think of some of the ways in which, you know, it almost seems like uh, for behavioral health for mental health services, they're ideally positioned to be in a virtual environment. You know, it actually makes some people feel more comfortable. You know, they don't have to go to an office, see other people in a waiting room. You know, they can be in their own comfortable space where they feel they feel confident and they feel safe and they don't have to go to another location. But then when we think about some of the primary care services, I wonder you mentioned wearables as a way to translate some of the physical components. Do you foresee that there might come a time when, in addition to things like Apple Watch or weight checks or blood pressure checks, you know, there are some remote stethoscopes or adaptions that can be put on a cell phone that can allow for some of those other physical exam components to be to be done virtually? Um, yes, I definitely think so. I've been looking at several devices that uh, we were hoping maybe to adopt um, for certain uh, patients that we have that, you know, if we become uh, more into the, the primary care space, uh, we can actually have patients that we would send a device like this and they could actually um, put on a blood pressure cuff and it would actually digitally send us the values so they wouldn't have to actually tell us we could actually remotely get that information um, we also have been looking into uh, home order testing. Uh, I think on the mainland it's very popular. Some, you know, a lot of people don't even want to go into the labs to get their blood drawn. And uh, there's several companies now, um, you know, people that are, you know, um, kind of nervous about getting blood drawn. You can actually just do a pin prick and get enough blood uh, to do blood work these days. We were just talking to a, a company the other day about this sort of thing, bringing it here to Hawaii. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do um, with even pulse oximeters, uh, smart scales, uh, uh, devices that can check your blood sugar and, and digitally transmit the data. So there's a lot, a lot more you can do. And, and as we start to get more along the, the, the learning curve with some of these things, you know, we're going to try to roll out some of these sort of um, services. Uh, all, all, you know, with the yeah, the intent to get to what I mentioned was 360-degree management program where um, patients can enroll in well.
wellness programs. Uh, we would help them get these devices so that they can transmit data to us and we can monitor them remotely and, and also uh, work on them with other things, including nutrition and um, counseling. So there's a lot of things that we'd like to do. We're working toward that. So we're building toward that's our goal. Well, it's a laudable goal, I'll tell you, and I can't wait to see where healthcare goes in the next couple of years. It's been quite a transformational event that I think has propelled us forward in telemedicine and maybe even beyond. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Stay with us when we come back. We're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Chauhan and Dr. Strong about Cloudwell Health, telemedicine, and you know what's the future of even primary care in the office versus virtual care versus how do we collaborate and integrate all of this together. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, talking with Dr. Cedric Strong and Dr. Neil Chauhan about Cloudwell Health. And right before the break, we were talking about Dr. Strong's mission, 360-degree management of all different health conditions. And that may include getting specialists when necessary to also be available to see patients who may have some conditions that require their expertise. So I'm curious, Dr. Strong, you know, what are the ways in which we can we can ad- gain better traction in the world of specialty medicine that, that a lot of times is more consultative are there are there ways in which you found to bridge those gaps between the original way of seeing someone in an office, which may lead to, you know, potentially waiting to have an opportunity to be seen, and ways in which we could expand access in a virtual space that might make things a little bit more efficient or possibly faster and have people wait less of a time before they get a chance to be seen? Yeah, so we've um, we've created a uh, a network of specialists here in Hawaii, and that I mean that ranges from you know psychiatrists to pediatrics to OBGYN, cardiology, uh, gastroenterology, surgeons, ear, nose, and throat, uh, ophthalmologists, and you know uh, when patients come to our platform, uh, we 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 take a, a history, we get all the necessary information. Uh, we're able to, um, at that point, um, consult one of our specialists who um, can actually remotely look over the records, uh, give us an opinion, um, and if they feel like they need to see the, the patient, uh, we actually go ahead and refer them, and we're able to fast-track that referral. Um, and at that point, the specialist can uh, conduct possibly a virtual visit, uh, and if they think it's necessary, they can actually do an in-person visit and, you know, especially with the gastroenterologist, um, that you know, depending on the condition, they can actually set you up for a procedure such as, you know, uh, people entering, you know, I'm 47, 46, excuse me, 46, going to be 47. So I'm nearing that age where I need a, probably a screening colonoscopy. So someone who's near my age that would come to our, our services um, who hasn't had a a colonoscopy, we would actually screen them and actually refer them on to the gastroenterologist, and we could facilitate that and, and get that procedure scheduled and done. Um, and our specialist network will see patients in rapidly versus um, going through regular channels. At this point, um, you know, we've had patients that have come through 
and they need to see specialists and, and we're told the seven month wait and we've actually gotten them in to see specialists within two weeks. So that's how we that's generally what we aim for. I think that's a reasonable time frame. Uh, having someone wait six, seven months, I think that's totally unacceptable. Um, and that's just you know one of the ways we're trying to attack this uh, problem of access. Um, and, how do you do that, you know, Dr. Strong? I'm curious. How do you get somebody in so quickly? Like you mentioned seven months, and I know that there might be other other barriers to having someone get seen. But, you know, obviously everybody would love to be within two weeks. What is your magic? What is it that you do that helps to expedite that process? Is it doing the workup yeah, prior mean, to them being seen and kind of doing some of the precursor testing? Or what sort of ways have you found that can help streamline that process? Exactly. So, you know, we've... Um, a network of specialists. We've gone to each uh, discipline, you know, if it's cardiology or gastroenterology or ear, nose, and throat. We've asked them, hey, what is the necessary information you're going to need to collect from us to make a rapid decision on patient care? And we put that into our um, workflows. And as we're interviewing the patient, we collect all that information. We're able to transmit that information, get get a, a fairly quick response from the specialist, and and once we've got that, we know that we can get them in fairly quickly. And all our specialists have agreed to see our patients that are in a rapid uh, time frame. And so that's just, you know, the, the, the beauty of being in Hawaii and having friendships. And I've been here for quite a while, the chief of medicine for Palimome, which is the Hawaii Pacific Health Hospital. And it's just some of the networks we've developed over time. Now, you know, as we move forward in looking at healthcare equity throughout not just the islands, but also through the whole U.S., it makes me wonder, we do have some current requirements for licensure in the state, for providers to be in the state, and that may be something that, you know, I sort of foresee in the next five or ten years, potentially that could change. I'm curious what your thoughts would be on that. Dr. Chauhan, like, you know, coming from the U.K., there might be a different system there. When you see that everybody here has to be licensed in the state that they practice in and they sometimes have to be physically located in the same location as their patients or as the, the patient's uh, home address. Do you see that as a barrier or do you see that as a, as a way to ensure that people have care in their local area? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I probably have a slightly different perspective. Uh, so in, in the UK, uh, we don't have the same issues in terms of different states having different requirements. If, uh, myself, for example, uh, you know, licensed and board certified in the UK, I, I can see patients anywhere in the UK. Um, there's checks and balances in terms of you know appraisals and who's your kind of governing body according to where you practice the most and so forth. But you you have that ability to kind of access and, and manage patients from, from all over, kind of geographically. Um, and in my mind, I think that works well. Um, so definitely a bit, of, a bit of a shock to my system in terms of uh, when, when I was first learning about the differences and the fact that we have different rules and regulations for different states. You know, the health care doesn't change. Right? The same illnesses, same disease processes, um, you know, same uh, skill set in terms of clinicians and training and so forth. Um, I mean, we, we've definitely, you know, accommodated with that in terms of learning the requirements and so forth that are required here. But I do think with telehealth and the pandemic that um, 
it is probably necessary to break down some of those barriers to allow that access to care. I think that's the, the fundamental issue is, is having the ability to have easy and quick access to appropriate care. And I think removing some of those um, you know, barriers um, would be helpful. Now, not to say that it then becomes a kind of wild west. I think there still needs to be appropriate regulation and governance and so forth. But uh, the different legislations according to different states, I think, is something that probably will evolve over time. I mean, it's interesting. If you'd asked me this you know, several years ago, even just from the UK side of things, I might have had a slightly different answer in terms of um, being able to practice virtual care whilst abroad. Well, on that note, I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you want to hear more, you can always look up Cloudwell Health, a new perspective on telemedicine and ways to hopefully help to increase access and expand availability for healthcare here in the islands. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show, or you can find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. See you then.